On this episode of the Stance Podcast, we're joined by Mr. Cartoon and Estevan Oriel. Erica, can you provide us with a little context? So Mr. Cartoon is a legendary graffiti artist and tattoo artist from L.A., and Estevan Oriel is a famed L.A. street photographer, and these two guys met 25 years ago and have traveled the world and have been through a lot of crazy stuff together. They've been to hell and back, basically. On the second episode of this two-part series, we have Estevan Oriel telling us the story of when he was in an Afghani prison and was face-to-face with Taliban militants. From our remote studio in downtown Los Angeles at the Nice Kicks offices, this is the craziest day of Estevan Oriel's life. Did Toon's storytelling uh, spark any thoughts around some of the craziest days that you've had? Yeah, I mean, his stories are, you know, those were amazing, you know. I was trying to think, like, man, how am I going to equal that or top that or whatever? And then I was, um, you know, thinking of all the different things that make something crazy, you know. And for me, it was like one of the craziest days for me was when my uh, daughter was born, you know, and my another one was when my mom passed away, you know, like different things like that to me are like some of the craziest days of my life, you know, having your uh, prostate gland checked, mm. you know, is a pretty crazy day, you know, something that you don't expect. No. I turn 40 next year, and I'm on death. Yeah, I've been yeah, dreading it for like up. the last 21 years. Well, don't worry, you got 10 more years, so. Not even, you're five. 45 is a good. Yeah. Now, nowadays with the processed food, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you get your seal broken, man, but, you know, it's, uh, they never let you know. They're just If they let no. you know, you won't show up for that appointment, you know what I mean? Best thing to do is get like a, at, around the time you have to go do that, Switch doctors to maybe like a small Asian lady doctor. <laughs> yeah. And it won't be so, uh, you know, traumatic for you. Don't go to Dr. Sausage Fingers. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, that's not cool. That's hilarious. <laughs> At least I haven't dimmed the lights, you know. <laughs> All the Light technology, they can put a camera down your throat. Play some music and or something. And they got to do the, the old school way, huh? Yeah. Finger no, test. No dinner first. The, the old dipstick. Faithful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was a traumatic experience in my life. That sounds like I a crazy felt, day. That's what I was thinking about when he was telling the the, the jailhouse stories. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking, man, man, all the shit that goes on in jail. You know, people get beat up, stabbed, you know, raped, and everything. And I was like, yeah, that reminds me of the time that I had to get my prostate checked. <laughs> it's like a combination of yeah. all of those yeah, things. Was like, it was like going to jail. <laughs> Damn, now I know what those guys feel like, you know, but. <laughs> um, the worst part of it is walking in the bathroom afterwards. <laughs> From the doctor's Just office feeling to completely the bathroom. Violated in some way. Yeah. yeah, and then you gotta, you know, you gotta go clean up afterwards. Yeah, you know, you look yourself in the mirror. The walk of shame going down the, the walk. walk of shame. And all, it looks like all the nurses are looking going. Yeah. <laughs> there goes a the stale one in the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> they just got it. You go, go in a, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like, stance and the prostate fantastic. cancer check, you know? I think you guys have been fantastic ambassadors for cancer prevention. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to go in yeah, and take care of yourself. I didn't even know how it was going to go down because you know how they check your ears. They put the little thing on the end of the light. When they check your uh, throat, they, they, you know, flash the light.
So when they were ready to do the prostate thing, I thought, he goes, are you ready? I go, yeah, sure. And I thought he was just going to, the way he made it look like is he was just going to look in there, you know, just with a, like a little light or something. And he goes, okay, here we go. And I, I was like, ah! You know, I was like, man, God, damn, you couldn't have, you know, gave me some kind of warning or nothing? Maybe it's best he doesn't give you a warning. At that point, you'd probably walk Primitive out. shit, you know, like uh, back in the Neanderthal days, like he's saying, you know, with all the technology they got. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You would think that there'd be a better way of going yeah, about this. something, yeah. man. I've got, got about six years for some new technology to drop. Yeah, you're going to be lucky when it does. And then it's like he's looking for the last piece of pomade in the can, you know what I mean? <laughs> Or peanut butter. Scraping the peanut butter jar. Do you, uh, so for the movie that's coming out, do you think that there's any situations that are in there that maybe you, uh, you could tell a story about? The uh, documentary? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. You got the visual. Go ahead. I just can't relate. I don't have a prostate. Yeah. But I have everything else you guys don't, so. Yeah, you can experience it too. Yeah. <laughs> My wife tells me, uh, don't ever trust a woman that bleeds seven days straight and doesn't die. <laughs> They're very scary animals, us women. Yeah. Hey, can you uh, help me out there with that? Yeah, to, you know, it's a segue into another conversation, another subject. Um, no, a crazy story. You probably know his crazy stories. You just got to remind him. Yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. I mean, I think some of his craziest stories is, is going to the Middle East, going into prisons in South America. Oh, those have got to be the nuttiest. Okay, you know, you be, basically yeah. being like a war correspondent, you know? Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. You know, I'll do, start off with uh, one of those. It was, uh, you know, shout out to David Cho. He took me on his, uh, he took me and two other friends of his to the Middle East. And he didn't say why or anything. He just said, hey, you, you want to go with me to Dubai, Afghanistan, and Turkey. What, what year was this? Two years ago. Oh, it was recently. Ago, oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Kind of entering a hot zone a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was still active. And um, he never said why or anything, and I didn't ask no questions. You know, David, when David Cho invites you somewhere, you know it's going to be fun and good times and good food, and you're going to stay in a nice place. So we head over to Dubai. From Dubai, we went to Turkey, a place called uh, Cappadocia. And the next, the second night we were there, uh, he tells us it was his birthday and that he brought us there because he wanted to go to these places on his birthday and he wanted to take his friend. So uh, you're going out for his birthday. We found out that, you know, the whole trip was based on him and his friends going somewhere. He wanted to go for his birthday. And it was one of those things where on a map, he just like closed his eyes and pointed his finger. And so we end up in this hotel that was um made out of the side of a mountain it was all rock and i don't know when or how they made it but when you look at it it's just a flat rock you know mountain and within the mountain is all the rooms and it looked like swiss cheese like a glory hole wall (laughs) and when you're in the rooms you're like you know damn because you just see all these little doors you know throughout the mountain and then you walk in there, and they're, they're, they're spacious rooms. You know, you're like, wow, you know, how did they come up with this? They made, like, caves and shit. And there's elevators? No. Oh, I was going to say, there's no, no way. No, you okay. just walk in stairs, and it's more of the experience, you know, rather than, like, the luxury. Yeah. And um, what he wanted to do in this particular place was go in uh, um, hot air balloons. So 
the next day we went to this uh valley where there's all these like rocks shaped as uh like upside down cones again you're like how does this happen you know this is fucking crazy and you're just tripping out on like if i was on a quarter of mushrooms i'd be losing it right now you know this is like way too wild i don't know how or who made this shit so the day after that we end up in um our hot air balloon we flew from you know one place to another at the end of the hot air balloon thing they give you uh, like sandwiches and a bottle of champagne. So the next day we go back to Dubai and um, we meet this guy and he goes, hey, you want to go to Kabul in Afghanistan? It's my birthday and, you know, I'm going to be going back home. I own a radio or uh, I own a TV network there. You know, of course, we said yes. And uh, we went there with him the next morning. And when we flew into the airport in Kabul the guy had like uh, cars waiting for us on the tarmac so we got off like a public plane and went straight to this one car and handed them all our in our uh, passports and everybody else had to go into the airport and go through customs and that shit but we went to a car and started driving out and as you're going out there's concrete barricades with barbed wire and you have to zigzag out of the airport and we're, you know, right there alone, you, the adrenaline starts flowing. Right when we get out of the um, the airport and we're in the main street at the main intersection, the guy pulls over a car. Another guy walks up, and I'm sitting in the front. There's the driver, David, sitting in the back. One of our friends is sitting next to him. And there's our third friend and another Afghani guy sitting in the back seat. So right when we pull over, this guy walks up and takes a AK-47 from behind his back and hands it to me through the window. And I didn't even ask no questions. It was just kind of like an instinct. And I hand the AK-47 to them in the back seat, and they handed it to the last Afghani guy in the far back seat. Then he pulls out of his waistband a 9mm. I just hand him the, the driver the 9mm, and he cocks it, and it's ready to go. And David goes, wait, what the fuck just happened? And I go, I don't even know. He goes okay now we know where we're at yeah. you know and i was like yeah now the shock started coming you know like god damn you know we just drove out of the airport and they're throwing ak's and nine millimeters through the window and that's how we drove to where we were going to stay on the way to where we were staying you know there's all these military uh trucks coming like trucks that i've never seen before just these big military trucks and they were driving pretty fast almost at full speed and there was about a convoy of eight of them driving through the city and we're like hey what's up with that you know we're asking the one of the afghani guys and he goes they're not stopping for anything if somebody gets in their way they're running them over or they plow right through them because they're scared of somebody doing the you know bombing on them so going back to when we were in the airport the guy who owned the network says so what do you do you know what are you an artist too and i said well i do photos and and uh i had my computer i was doing emails and and on my computer i had a folder of when i was in panama i went to a prison and i shot in there so i go you know i do photography and i showed him that folder of prison photos from panama and he goes would you like to shoot a prison here and i said yeah sure you know wow because everybody asked me would you want to shoot this or that and i always say yes to everything because 90 percent of them are full of shit so he said this is a prison that holds mostly taliban prisoners and i go okay yeah let's go so i i didn't bring it up anymore he he didn't bring it up so i just thought 
yeah, you know, here's here's another one of those stories, you know. So at this point, is kind of the shock of like having guns pass through the car and kind of seeing all the military trucks and stuff. Has that started to settle in, or are you still like yeah. kind of feeling like no you're right in a really right away? Place? You feel like you're in an active war zone, and you could feel it and you could see it. During the three days we were in Afghanistan, I saw at least a hundred guys, not military guys, just, well. They were just dressed in plain clothes, walking around with AKs. It just looked like it was a thing to do, and you felt kind of, you didn't, like if here in L.A., if you saw 100 guys walking around with AKs, you know, people would be running down the street screaming. Other guys would see the guy and just start shooting at him because they, would they, they wouldn't want to get shot by him, but over there it just seemed like they are walking down the street with a loaf of bread. Yeah. So the guy picks me up the next morning and tells me, are you ready to go? And I was like, yeah, where are we going? He goes, I got the trip set up for you to go to shoot in the prison. And I go, oh, okay, great. We're all going. He goes, no, just you. <laughs> and, you know, These guys so, are going to go, you know, Yeah, they're going to go and paint. David <laughs> yeah. Cho is going to go do graffiti at this uh, bombed out, like, parliament house type, you know, government building. And, and you get like, to go to prison. <laughs> yeah, I get to go to the prison. And when I went to the Panama prison... We were going to meet up with a guy named Maton, and we were going to do a documentary. And when I walked up to the, when I walked up into the guard where they opened the gate for the prison, the guard opened the gate, and I walked in, and then he closed the gate behind me and told me, you know, be back at four o'clock. You know, it's ten o'clock right now. Come back at four to the gate. And I had like a roller camera bag, and I, I looked back, and I was like. Wait a minute, you know, the guard's staying on that side of the fence, and I'm inside by myself, the, and there's the, no the, guard. The guide didn't come with you either? No, the, the, the guy that I was going to visit, yeah. Maton, his name, which means killer, oh. he's <laughs> in prison, you know, and I'm going to meet him to do a documentary. The guards are just close the gate, and they're like, be back at 4 o'clock. Hey, Maton, make sure he's back here, you know. Hey, killer, make sure he gets back right. by four. Right, a murderer, you know, make sure he's back here by four. So <laughs> I was like, fuck, you know, like, this is crazy. So that flashback came to my head when I'm going to the thing, and he says, oh, yeah, you're going alone. So I started thinking, like, you know, well, how's this going to go down? So we went to one prison, and I'm in a car with three guys from Afghanistan that don't speak any English. But the guy that we went to meet that owned the network, it was one of his guys and the two drivers. So we go to this prison, and it's the wrong one. So we call uh, the guy, and we say, hey, man, you know, this prison doesn't know what we're talking about. He goes, where are you? And the guy told him, he goes, that's a woman's prison. You know, you're at the wrong place. Drive an hour Ms. and a Killer. half. Ms. Yeah. Killer. <laughs> Mr. Killer. Drive an hour and a half away, and, you know, you can go in that prison. So we drove an hour and a half away and get there, and the, the warden's, like, kind of pissed off. He's looking at me like, who's this guy? What is he doing here, you know? The guy explains to him, you know, they call my guy on the phone, and he goes, you know, he's a photographer, and we want him to take pictures for us of you know the taliban in the prison and uh the guy had like a bad attitude he kind of reminded me uh there was a movie called midnight express mm -hmm. and there was a warden in that movie that you know he's not too cool of a guy and that's what this warden uh reminded me of so they take me into the prison they line up these like 14 guys that were you know in prison taliban guys and they go okay you know take a picture of these guys so I'm taking photos of them, and, you know, I, I don't need to take too many photos. So I just took a few, 
and then he showed me like a area where they do gardening and I took photos of them guys and then he goes okay now let's go to the cells so we're going to the cells and now I'm starting to get like kind of nervous you know because in Panama you know they're you know they're just there doing their time the Taliban guys they're in there you know probably because they did something to Americans and they hate them and you know want to kill them so at this time my adrenaline's flowing you know I'm thinking I'm going into a prison and I'm hoping this guy isn't you know put me in there and go hey you know come back at four at the gate because you know now I'm going to be with a bunch of people that you know hate hey, Americans yeah. right mm -hmm. were, were the Taliban guys wearing anything that kind of identified them as Taliban guys? No. Or did they just look like everyone they else? Prison. No, they look like regular Afghani guys. They had like the long shirts that go down to their knees and the baggy pants and the, like these long vests and then uh, these kind of hats that went over their heads. So everybody looks the same, you know? You don't see like a trustee wearing green or wearing red or wearing blue like you do here. It's just like they're wearing normal clothes and they take me to the cells and there's about a hundred guys in there and there's all the clothes hanging, you know, from there doing their wash and stuff. And they had me taking photos through the bar. And at first I was like 10 feet away. You know, they go, okay, here, go take pictures of them. And here in California or other places here in the United States, one of the things that they do to people that come into the prison to do stories or do uh, interviews or press or police is they throw a cup of piss at them yeah, or ask about they that. take a you know handful of shit and throw it you know at them and it splatters on the wall so I didn't want to get too close you know because I'm thinking I'm American taking pictures of Taliban prisoners and the last thing I want is them throwing shit at me so I stayed worse, kind of yeah. yeah I stayed kind of away and then the the warden guy goes no no go ahead you know, get closer, you know, he didn't tell me, you know, he couldn't speak English, but I could see what he meant with his hand. So I was looking at him, I was like, fuck, man. All right, you know, this is what you do, you know, so go do it. And I just walked up to the bars and I started taking photos of them close enough to where, you know, I wanted to have the bars in the shots. So I had to step like a foot behind the bars but I was still close enough to where if they wanted to grab me, they could pull me to the bars and start sticking me or throw shit on me or whatever. But I ended up getting some amazing photos. They let me shoot in there for about an hour and then they go, okay, you know, fucking American, go home, you know? The, you know, the warden was like, all right, you know, enough of you, get out of here. So I left, went back and I met up with David and them and they had already finished painting and they're like, how was your day? I was like, man, <laughs> you don't, you don't even know, you know. Like yeah. my heart was almost pounding out of my chest, you know. Yeah. Because I don't care, you know, how badass you are, but when you're by yourself and you don't have a weapon and you're looking at, you know, a hundred guys that would love to kill you on the other side of some bars, you know, you get a little bit nervous. You know, your blood starts pumping. Yeah, I mean, did, did they know you were an American? I don't or? think so, because okay. before when we knew we were going to the Middle East, just for fun, we grew out our beards and, you know, we yeah. were like, you part. know, yeah, we kind of wanted to, you know, blend in. blend in a little bit. Like, you know, I'm half Mexican, half Italian. David's, uh, you know, Korean and the other two guys were, you know, one guy was Italian, the other guy's just a regular white guy. 
those two guys kind of looked like they had done a couple tours in Afghanistan already, you know, with their beards. And, you know, David just looked crazy and wild because I don't know where we had went to Dubai and he had, uh, we had walked into a barber shop. And one of the things they do there, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, the Indian men like to put henna in their hair and they dye their red. hair orange yeah. or red. Yeah. So David, being as crazy as he is, did that, and he looked wild, like he had an was, orange. He stuck out. <laughs> yeah, he had like an orange beard. Oh, he did it to his beard too. Yeah. Oh his, wow. Only okay. his beard. So his head was all black, oh. and his beard was fully like orange. And then, uh, you know, I just looked like who, you know, who knows what, and to them, you know. Yeah. But it was still, you know, a little bit nerve wracking. But I got some sick shots. Toon, have you seen the photographs from the Afghani prison? Yeah, the pictures are are crazy because it's dark in there, and it's like... How would you say the <laughs> Afghani prison stacks up against L.A. County? I don't know. I'm not sure which one I'd rather be in. Actually, no. <laughs> the homies, we got it good in L.A., you know what yeah. I mean? So you're proud to be Mexican, that's for sure, you know what I mean? And We got it good over here, but yeah, over there it must be so raggedy, you know? Treated like animals, yeah. yeah, I mean... When we were in uh, India, that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I heard about India, and we had to go, and Esteban documented everything, and he also did his hand on his beard in India. Uh-oh. <laughs> but uh, India's full of garbage. You know, they don't have uh, garbage day on Wednesday where you put your stuff. I mean, it just it pretty much just collects everywhere. And kids have no problem playing in the garbage. Yeah. You know, like it's not taboo to, to like just be rummaging through a mountain of garbage. And uh, the kids are beautiful too, you know, like the way they're they're dressed and their tradition. And like you see ran down, broken like Catholic churches over there that like just didn't make it, which is rare for the Catholic church, you know. And I guess the Portuguese tried to go over there and colonize and it didn't happen. So they were showing us all those churches that, that had fallen to pieces. And um, I'm sure those made for beautiful photos. They did. Oh that my was gosh. Really cool. That's what you guys look like? That was in Dubai. So we're looking at a photograph of uh, Esteban here in Dubai. Wait, and that's David there? David's the Asian guy. Yeah. And then who's the guy on the other side? That's Critter. I like you guys look authentic. You yeah, definitely look Every, every country we went to, we dressed authentic. Especially you. Strong. Especially you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. My favorite part about this story is the fact that uh, getting your prostate checked was your first craziest day of your life. That is, that's that kind of... That was the most recent. Yeah. yeah. Then the Afghani prison. Oh, that's a beautiful photo. I love that. It's hard. Yeah. First I mean, prostate, second Afghani prison. So then we're in, uh, we're in India, and one of our friends goes, we're going to Mumbai. Oh, this wow. is it. We go, can we get some spray paint? So he, he cops us some paint. And we jump in, uh, G, matted out, G65 wagon. You ever heard, you know, your mom tells you, hey, you know, be careful, it's raining, don't drive. All that is, uh, is urban myth. You can drive 150 miles an hour in the rain. No rules. Yeah. Right. And like a madman, if you so desire. If you have a G wagon, supercharged G wagon, you can actually black out and drive in a monsoon as fast as you want and not spin out or not doing any of that. Because our friend was the driver, and 
I don't know, he's borderline a professional race driver. No, they are made to go fast as hell in the rain. And there was these poor uh, people, man. They, they're on mopeds. You they got plastic, <laughs> plastic bags on their head for a helmet. He's like honking at him. Womp, womp. Move over, peasant. And they just <laughs> move over. There's guys walking Moped, down the street you know? with their cows, you know, yeah. and you're thinking like, what if one of those cows gets like spooked and like jerks out, jerks into the road, you yeah. know, like yeah. we're dead. Cows are holy too. Yeah, and they're they like, over there know, for sure. 500 pounds and we hit him going 120, 100, Not good. whatever. Not yeah, great. it's over. Yeah. And I was just like, I wanted to tell dude to slow down, but there was no way he was going to listen to me. And he's in a wheelchair, so he's doing everything on hand controls. No. You know what I mean? I think he wanted to show us too, hey, check this out, you know? <laughs> and uh, he pulls over, and, I, and he goes, you could do graffiti there. And halfway through the graffiti piece, he goes, look, it's probably a good idea to put different religious symbols so that no one gets upset because they're not going to understand what you just wrote, like the throw up and shit. So I had to do the, the Buddha symbol. I did a, a Muslim symbol, and I did a crucifix. And I even did the cholo one and put the, you know, the Just three. covered all there. the bases. Yeah. Covered all the religious, all the invisible people bases. <laughs> and um, that was way out because they were all watching us. And there was people living in front of the wall. And he got out and said, get the fuck out of the wall. They kicked the guys out because they're living under a Brit, under a overpass because it's raining. So these poor guys are living in front of the wall, you know, and they're not homeless people. They're regular people and shit. They just happen to live under the bridge. And he told them to get out of there, man. And, and we painted this little mural. And, and they have like three Mercedes trucks waiting right there. So either you're shit poor in, in India or you're just filthy rich. Yeah, so that's a lot like Thailand, too, it seems like. A lot like Thailand. Yeah. That's like our second home. Oh, okay, yeah. And even the prostate... Story comes before Thailand. <laughs> yeah, that's I was, that was, I was going to ask. <laughs> Prostate before or after this one? I'm not saying I'm a control freak, but I like my ducks in a row. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, as you would. And so. when the guy, you know, the good doctor's putting the rubber gloves on, I wear rubber gloves for a living, you know what I mean, when I tattoo. So it didn't throw me off to see a man putting on surgical gloves, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but then it dawned on me. <laughs> this is bad. Well, you can get bad news after. You can say, oh, I know that hurt. Your ch cherry's been popped yeah. at 11 in the morning, <laughs> but you got a, a nice little lump up to the size of a, a grapefruit yeah, that we're going to have to carve out of that's you. That's the bad news. Well, Fortunately, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, got an, I got an A- on that test. <laughs> yeah. uh, no lump. So, no, to no knowledge is power. <laughs> knowledge yeah. is power. It's like your first AIDS test, man. In the 90s, oh, man. No. <laughs> oh, is it because of tattooing that you, that you were... Yeah, you poke yourself over the years. No, and That's scary. That's you know, scary every time. It was my first test. So before I was with my lovely, life, my lovely wife, I was with some shady life. strippers. I like that you called it like your life. I, life, you, wife. You accidentally yeah, said yeah. my lovely life and wife. <laughs> uh, you know, that was, I think, the last time I prayed. Yeah. And I was like, does God answer HIV test questions? You know, does he? Don't, well, probably he not busy? to people with HIV, no. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. So 
You probably get asked the question often. <laughs> he gets asked all the time. Some special to requests help. on that one often, I'm sure. You know, I told him too, man. Just get me out of this one. You know, <laughs> I'll follow you. You know, I'll do. How do you but, really quickly? I, I'm sure you guys have to go soon, but how? For tattooing men to prevent that sort of thing, people don't have to ever get tested before they go get a tattoo. No, no. So you, it's just new needles, obviously. Yeah, everything's one-off now, so everything's disposable. Everything. And the way that we wear our gloves, they're super duper thick. So um, I never poke myself to like leave ink in or anything like that. And these days we don't. That happens when you're your first ten years and you're. You're starting, you know what I mean? That you'll you'll do that, but uh, yeah, you can't you can't have to do a test on everyone that comes in, you know. You can get um, hepatitis, you know. Yeah. But it's it's hard. You got to really be blacked out and like have that <laughs> fucking needle <laughs> to get it. So it's there you are, folks. Don't drink and tattoo. <laughs> yeah. From Mr. <clears throat> yeah, I'm cartoon himself. You can drink, you know, and some some tattooers drink and they do good work, you know. Just don't black out. Or don't tweak and tattoo, right? Don't tweak and tattoo. That does not work. Drink, okay. Tweak, not so good. Tweak, no. Yeah. Or drink, slamming yes. dope, you might nod out and hit yourself with a needle instead <laughs> of the client, so it's probably better not to. And you just start sweating all over the client because the <laughs> yeah. tweak is kicking in exactly. and it just don't work good. So thank you for all of this advice. It's going to go really far for everyone listening, for sure. I mean, it's real life. Yeah. You know, every man in here is going to have to get that, that day when the doctor goes, put your palms on the, on the <laughs> table right there. And you're like, why, why would I do that? And, you know, either that or that you can get an ass full of cancer. That's no fun. <laughs> yeah, that's the, yeah, that's there you the have it. worst Either way, lay down and relax. A, like a weird entry into manhood, you know? Mm -hmm. And all that cocaine I did in the 80s, I was <laughs> so grateful that my seal was intact. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There you it's have like it. It's like a badge of honor. <laughs> well, we'll end it on that note. We know you guys have to get back down to the event that's Oh, happening. yeah, we did some socks. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, maybe you guys can tell us a little bit about the socks you guys did. It's been 25 years since we've been doing artwork together. You know what I'm uh, one of our friends, Donnie Charles, rest in peace, he was a lowrider and he was in the music industry and he would give me logos to do. And I went to a record release party where I had did the logo for Easy e And uh, he goes, hey, and you know, back then in the music industry, especially the rap world, predominantly all African-American black folk in there, you know what I mean? So our homie goes, hey, I know another Mexican you can talk to. And he put us in the corner and shit. <laughs> there it was, you know what I mean? A half Italian, half Mexican. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was enough, though, because <laughs> a couple of, you know, the, there was like, when, you, when me and him first walked in, we looked and you could just, I was like, okay, there's another, you know, hip-hop event. It was like 98% black. There was a couple of, the, you know, white Jewish guys from the labels, and then there was Cartoon over there. Yeah, especially... So he goes, hey, man, years. come over here. My other Mexican homie Cartoon over here. <laughs> so we go over there, and he goes, you know, hey, you guys should know each other. You know, you both in the music game, and you both low-riding, and you both my, both my homies. That He was like, you guys hang out together? I'm gone. And he went <laughs> and did his business and talked to everybody, and me and him kept in touch at that time. I was tour managing House of Pain, and I had a little snippet um, cassette tape. Promo tape. They don't make those no more, but back then it was like jump around and the intro. Yeah. So it was like 
six, uh, seven minute, like little snippet tape. And I go, hey man, you know, here's a group I, I, I'm working with. We doing, uh, you know, promo tours. I just got back from Japan. That shit is crazy over there. He goes, oh, I'm just going to Japan to go do murals on some lowriders. And this was in 1992. I was like, hey, well, go check this out. Go check that out. And, you know, when you get back, let's, you know, hook up again and compare stories and hang out. And so when he came back, he called me up and we've been hanging out ever since, you know, been all around the world together and done a million jobs together and art projects and low ride together you know we both uh, met our wives through one of our homies he passed away you know it's just like side by side the whole way the mexicans stick together God, strength yeah. in numbers you got to we gotta back each other up you know what i mean yeah. everyone we went through koreatown right now to get over here i was like these guys are definitely sticking together you know <laughs> they help each other out man you gotta you know it's uh we're overnight success, you know, in 25 years. <laughs> um, people told us we were lucky, we're blessed, put all kinds of labels on us, you know, but it's just, we were fortunate that we love what we do. We practice it every day in one way or another, you know? That's really it, and, and time stacks on top of each other. A lot of shit doesn't work out, but most of it does. And uh, it's being focused on what it is that you're doing and what it is that like we like to help other people too, you know, like the people that are around us on a day-to-day -day basis, we help out of like a lot of intern type kids that they have to wash the cars, clean the white walls, old school style, clean yeah, the yeah. glass. They gotta, you know, go get fucking Starbucks, whatever. That's how they, they learn, you know? Henry Hill style. That's it. You know, we gotta be able to trust these guys, you know, we bring them around our shit. And, but then we get these cool nights where they get to be at the stance event. You know, so yeah, last week they might have had, you know, actually scooped some shit that someone <laughs> threw out their fucking... One day by my studio, there was like a bucket of shit. <laughs> I mean, it, it was like, not a small bucket. Like a it was like a planner, you know? Was like, it, you know Home this Depot? is human shit, you think? It was human feces for sure. You know the planners at Home Depot, the ones yeah. that are the cheap ones? Yeah. So no. Maya, it was to the top. No. So <laughs> no. I was like, why would anybody... How? Collect yeah. human feces this way. You know, this is bizarre. But us being in Skid Row for 13 years, I put it together. There's a new wave of semi-homeless people that live in RVs. And I'm sure you've seen these shitty RVs parked with the curtains drawn. Yeah. And there's no good going on. Breaking inside, Bad inside style of RVs. Breaking Bad, yeah. some methamphetamine and baby oils probably involved some pornography. <laughs> and some homeless fucking sex. Yeah. And uh, they, I'm sure, just put that planter in their RV, oh. and when it fills no. up and they can't fill it to the top anymore... They drop it off at your studio. They drop it off at the studio. <laughs> and we go back into the fucking cameras, and I can see these two assholes. They actually had a dolly to carry. No. You know, they're getting oh a little technology behind it, and they just dumped it right there. You know, they didn't know where they were at. They didn't know where they were, you know, dropping this off. And, um... That's shitty. It was a shitty situation, man, and life can be shitty. <laughs> it was shittier for the fucking intern kids that had to go fucking clean it up. You know what? We're going to give them high fives when we see them over at the store. You just point them out. Yeah. Yeah, but they kicked ass. And today they're at Stance with fucking... And nice you know, kicks. I'd say, I'd and they're fucking tequila it. in their hand. Let's get them some socks, Albie. Can we... Can we, make, yeah, can we yeah. We're going to get them some socks. I've heard that story like 
four or five times already and every time i'm just blown away by it it's i'm so just great. like what the hell oh, man shit. can you yeah. imagine that oh. at that first you were like no nah, man you're full of off. shit yeah <laughs> he's like no really it was really shitty Michael, that shit pisses me off. I'm, I'm not too good. I would have thrown my spacesuit on and go out there and do it myself. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Man. But, I mean, it takes a couple people to fucking do that shit. It sounds about 50 pounds if they brought a dolly. I mean, they're not hand-carrying yeah. the thing. They're dollied it in. They had to dolly it in and those fucking dirt bags, man. I can't fucking believe well, I don't it. understand why they just didn't leave it elsewhere. Like, why there? Right. But you know what? It was just dark in that part. Now I got that place like Alexandria. <laughs> I got fucking lights, every yeah. LEDs everywhere. They didn't really, actually, they were in the light. That's why I seen them. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, um, you got to be constantly picking up after people. It's funny, man. I grew up doing graffiti, vandal graffiti writer, and now I just cover any shitty graffiti in my neighborhood. <laughs> nice. Like, you're not going to bring my property value down because you're trying to impress your friends and... You suck as a graffiti writer. I'm going to go over your shit. Yeah. But I'm just going to clean it up. So I put my little city suit on. <laughs> I like an orange vest. Okay, we know. This, no, this isn't real. This is real. I'll jump out the S-Class and just start fucking buffing that wall. No. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't buff that shit, <laughs> then everyone's going to think it's cool to go and write in that fucking area. Be a real man and go to Compton and write on the fucking wall and shit. Yeah, don't yeah. go to the fucking suburbs and do that shit. Yeah. I don't know. My mom will tell me, see, you know, karma. I go, you think the karma gods give a fuck about graffiti? You know, they really pay attention to these details. Everything that basically I did shitty to people happened to me as an adult. <laughs> These fuckers, little fuckers wrote on my building, you know? Yeah. And I was that kid writing on churches, anything I can get my hands on. You know, I don't get too mad. It, what did it start with, like Sharpies and stuff? What were you? Graffiti? Like, yeah. Yeah, you start just carving in your school desk, and then, like, I'd write on the walls as a little, in my house as a little boy, you know? And your parents would get mad, so you took it to the streets? I eventually, as I got to a teenager, I started, my mom would drive me to school. She goes, that stuff wasn't your name on the wall right there, was it? I was like, no. <laughs> no. Eventually, detectives, LAPD detectives came in the high school, escorted me out, took me to jail, questioned me. I was 17. Wait, how, how long has the Mr. Cartoon name been? I started the brand back then, so I was already branded. You were already Mr. Cartoon back, back in the day. Yeah, but I was only 17, and... One of my homeboys, Jack Rudy, says, I, don't worry, Holmes, you'll grow into it. So I grew into my name, you know? We put doctor in front of our name. We were yeah. still trying to figure it out. Yeah. Sir. Yeah, that was it. I was just trying to impress kids walking to school. I talked to this old lady and let me do a graffiti mural outside the school. Like, the homies would just write on the, on the wall. So I, I told her, hey, it won't cost you anything, and I'll paint your wall. Beautiful art. Can't pass that. After that, I just started landing jobs. My sister got me a job doing graffiti for Warner Brothers on the set. Nice. She's like, you're not going to believe this. I got you, fucker. You always get it, all the luck. And she got me the job. And I'd show up on set. My old man's briefcase with spray paint cans in it. My mom would invoice and typewriter. And I was in the movie business. Nice. That's the hustle. I like that. So now we executive produce a movie with Imagine Entertainment and Bloomhouse. Does all the uh, Purge movies. Oh, they do a lot of horror movies. And we had the same thing, do the graffiti in that movie, you know, make it look real. And there's a lot. We, did, we did all the visuals, really, you know, like we picked the lowriders. We designed the car club plaques. We actually got them cut. 
chromed them, gold plated them. We did the tattoos or my designs to, uh, you know, a lot of the, the clothes. You don't have to approve the clothes and shit. So where can listeners go to see a body of work from either one of you guys? Our Instagrams. That's probably the easiest, fastest, and uh, most updated. Like, we're, you know, we update that stuff every day. What are you guys' Instagrams? Mine's, I wanted to make it idiot-proof, so I just put Esteban Oriel. <laughs> I wanted to make it idiot-proof, but some weirdos went and took my name oh. and put my pictures up, and so I put Mr. C-Tunes. C-Tunes is like well, how I write with graph. But it still says Mr. Cartoon. I got, like, the check, the official shit. But that always happens, you know? Yeah. You haven't so, asked them? Um, there's so many, you know what I'm saying? Like, mine has the official one on there, and I've had it this long, so I'm just like, fuck it. But I have MrCartoon.com. You got to have a website so you don't look like a crazy person. They're not as updated as, like, IGs. But, like, someone that doesn't know about me, they can go to my website and see all my body of work, you know, from, like, interviews from 10, 15 years ago. But they can go see the Lowriders movie and see a lot of our... Our, you know, film work style, you know, from production design to art direction to uh, actually just overlooking the whole film, you know. Right. Stefan's done f 50 music videos, but now we're working on this doc that we're just sitting on 25 years of footage. Yeah, so you're going to see us all over the world. You're going to see vandal bombing. You're going to see, like, me just starting to do tattoos. You're going to see a grip of shit talking. Some mild racism jumping off. Some Japanese bloods. <laughs> yeah. Japanese bloods are in there. Are you going to put it out on a traditional like movie format, or are you going to do it with like a Netflix sort of thing? or Probably multi-part series. Yeah. We're trying to do like that one with the serial killer, four-part oh, series, because uh -huh. we have 20 years of footage, yeah. you know? Hard to That's show an hour and a half. There's yeah. people that make documentaries out of a weekend of shooting, you know, but we have 20 years of random a lot, shooting. A lot of content. So, and different, different eras, you know, I mean, when we first kicking it, pagers, the pager era, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Pre-technology, <laughs> no computers, no, none of that. We were fortunate that we got known before technology showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Got known through magazine interviews and books and people going back to New York and talking or us showing up on the East Coast and doing shit with the right people. A lot of it is your relationships, you know? The good thing about tonight is that we're busting out these Stan socks that, in our opinion, are the best socks, you know, the ones we wear, and the technology in them is just superior, and they're able to weave our artwork into the socks, you know? Yeah. And do these type of events at, you know, Nice Kicks, where we already get our shit from, you know? So it's good to... Uh, collab with people that you already worked with them, you know what I mean? And Albie came through and really let us do what we wanted to do and just open-minded and, and just seeing the headquarters down there is inspiring too, you know? You guys definitely got it going on. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you guys for coming on the podcast today. It's been an honor to have you. Sure. Yeah. We look forward to the forthcoming movie that's coming yes. out. Uh, we look forward to seeing future work. And thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you, uh, yeah, thank Pat you. from Ruka. He's the one who introduced us to Stance. And mm -hmm. him and Zach put all of us together with Albie and, and uh, Ryan Kingman. That's and I right. I just want to tell them thank Big you. Big Pat. We don't forget, you know, where we came from. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Those are thank great you. stories. Thank Love you. them.
That's it for this episode of The Stance Podcast. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so you know when we're posting new episodes. And you can follow Estevan at Estevan Oriel on Instagram. And you can check out stance.com slash podcast for more episodes and info. Thanks for listening.